That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. And I love all of my listeners, and I especially love when you guys give me good suggestions, even if they're sort of snarky, like stop telling us how excited you are for every guest. You're always excited. But I am always excited. But I appreciate that because, you know, I don't want to sound repetitive and unimaginative. But also for good ideas, like the person who suggested that I should add to the Spanish Inquisition questions, somebody that my guests thinks they would like to hear on the podcast. And because of that... I took the advice of Adam Amin, and uh, this week's guest is the result of, of his suggestion, Peter Burns, SEC host, and not a guy I really knew much of anything about. I'm not a huge college person. I'm just getting into college sports a little more in the last couple of years, and I don't spend a lot of time watching the SEC network, and great stories. Such an interesting and amazing uh, approach to life based on some pretty dark and tough moments that he's had to go through, and he has this Facebook post that went viral a couple of years ago, and every year he reposts it and adds experiences of others onto it that are supposed to be sort of these these low moments or these hiccups in life that that people manage to learn and grow from and find success after. And so I wanted to add mine. And I, I've talked about it before, but for those who haven't heard it, it's just a, a snippet. It's a it's a very short version of the story. But I was living in L.A. working for Fox Sportsnet on a nightly highlight show. Um, knew I wanted to get in front of the camera, not just producing and wasn't sure how to go about it. Started doing a bunch of auditions in L.A. and eventually decided I would be better served. Moving back to Chicago, took a couple weeks off to find a job and then found a job. Had about a month and a half to move back and started working for this startup website that was called Mouthpiece Sports. And it was supposed to be sort of like the voice of the athlete. It was like the Players' Tribune before the Players' Tribune. Not affiliated with any networks or newspapers. No spin. And really about giving the players uh, kind of uh, more personality and getting getting to know pe- the, the the players in Chicago that people watched. And so it was really trial by fire for me. I wasn't a journalism major. I hadn't really done any work in the sports world other than my time at Fox Sports Net where I was learning on the job. So I arrive and am immediately thrust into locker rooms and on camera. I was writing. I was doing on camera hits and I was actually doing a lot of editing for the site as well. And so I was in the clubhouse for the Blackhawks and I'd been in there maybe two or three weeks and was really doing a great job. I was getting all sorts of great feedback from people about how I was helping them get to know the players better. And these stories were so fun. Like one of the videos I did with one of the players rapping ended up on the front page of NHL.com. And so I was totally pumped thinking I'm nailing it. And then they come to my bosses and tell me that we're not going to be allowed in the locker room anymore, that a lot of the stuff that we're doing is stuff that they will be doing on their own website. And they just they don't want us in there anymore. And I end up talking to my mentor in Chicago, who is a radio guy, and he did some digging and found out that one of the longtime beat reporters there had told the PR guys that I must be sleeping with the players. That's why I'm getting the, the better stories. That's why they're interacting better with me and having more fun. Not because I was in my 20s and I was in there with a completely different perspective and attitude than someone who's looking for an injury update or a strategy update. I was going in there looking for personality. No, it must have been because I was this girl who came from a different city who they didn't know, didn't know anything about, got dropped into the locker room and was doing a, a good job, was getting successful interviews. And so I was really worried at that point. 
that this industry was going to end up being exactly what I'd always heard. And I ended up having to drive two and a half hours multiple times to go to this shop that would always have the Blackhawks signing stuff there. I would get there and have to ask the players, can I do an interview with you while you're here? Because otherwise I'm not going to get one. By the end of that first season, I had done so much fun coverage and the players were liking it too, that two of them even had me come to their house to interview them. Because they were like, you're doing a good job. We're not really sure why you're not in the locker room anymore. But my family loves when you do the videos with us, showing our personality or rapping or doing whatever. And so I had to work around it. And then I got to the Cubs and I was having issues there. And I had been basically trying to be as much a fly on the wall as possible. I was getting sound for my for my job and also for MLB BAM for their website. And eventually heard from a woman that I became friends with that worked uh, with the Cubs that somebody said that my boobs were distracting in the clubhouse. And she was in the meeting and she was the only woman there. And she said, what's she supposed to do with them? She can't hang them up on her way into the locker room. You know, that that's she doesn't dress inappropriately. She's not flaunting anything. She just is six feet tall with big boobs. Like, that's just life. And so it was really frustrating to me. I felt like at every turn I was being mischaracterized. I was being stereotyped. I was being um, mistreated because I was a woman in the clubhouse, a young woman that people didn't know. I hadn't been in Chicago for years, not since I was a kid. Um, and so I went to my mentor and I said, I'm really worried that I'm not going to be able to do this job. Like everywhere I go, I'm, I'm getting shut down. And he just said, you have to be so good that they can't say no. You just have to put your head down and work and find a way around the blockades and find a way around the BS. And eventually they won't be able to say no. And fortunately, over a couple of years, I then got a job working in, in local radio for ESPN and then eventually ESPNW and then TV and I found myself into some of the same spaces, and I don't know who the beat reporters or the employees were, but um, I certainly know that people have been very welcoming and kind and extremely helpful when I when I now go into the locker rooms or when I ask for access to players for stories. Um, I could have quit, and I think a lot of people probably would have quit, but just like Peter Burns' story that you're going to hear that was completely unfair and just like the story so many others have to share— you just put your head down and keep working and you try to be so good that they can't say no and you try to find a way out of the hole. So uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Peter Burns and go check out his Facebook post uh, about all this stuff. I think it might really inspire some of you. That's what she said. Happy to welcome in this week's guest, Peter Burns, an SEC Network studio host, occasionally hosts College Football Live. You can also hear him on ESPN and Sirius Radio. And Peter comes to us thanks to the great Adam Amin, who suggested he has stories to tell and things to say. So no pressure uh, at all to live up to the expectations. Say, that's the thing we've known about Adam, right? Complete fabricator of the truth. He's the worst. Like, the only story I really want to know is how your voice is so awesome, like, that that is that is traditionally the mark of a person who had a like an incredible good time at like a concert yes. or or like what what concert or was it karaoke? Like where's his voice coming from? Either either a great time or uh, eight packs a day. And since I've never had a single <laughs> cigarette in my life, it's always a great time. Um, yeah, you know I had a birthday party. It was Saturday Night Live themed. It was in multi-parts. It started at a museum full of Saturday Night Live stuff, went to Cheeseburger Cheeseburger, then Harry Carey's, then we were on a boat. There was a lot of dancing and singing and the occasional adult beverage, and here I am, sounding like a professional. That is, 
That is awesome. Well, first of all, happy 23rd birthday. Thank you. I feel great. I look great. Um, Yep. That is good. But I never thought about that, like to have a theme, like a starting live themed birthday party. I would take it there in Chicago, right? Like that's that's the way you rolled. Yes. And last year was Ferris Bueller's Day Off themed. And, you know, another time was (laughs) the movie Overboard. We also had a Caddyshack theme. You know, just, you know, costumes. I like costumes. Oh, that is awesome. All right. Now, now I've got my four. I'm 39 years old now, and my wife is sitting there going, all right, I've got a couple of months to think about, like, the 40th birthday. And all I know is that I just, I'm going to, after this podcast, I'm going to talk to her. I'll be like, I just want you to listen to how Sarah's voice sounded. Yes. I want to have that good of a time. <laughs> exactly. The, like, the week, like, the whole, not just day after, the whole week after my 40th birthday, I want to sound like Perfect. And uh, feel free to give her my number. I've got plenty of ideas. Uh, <laughs> I already did that one for my husband. So um, so I want to get into your wife and, and your amazing daughter and everything else. But I want to start all the way back at the beginning, Baton Rouge uh, and your childhood. So what were you like as a kid? Um, you know what? It, it's kind of funny. I was just, I, I was one of these kind of freaks of nature that grew up really tall and, and it sounds stupid now, but like somewhat coordinated you know like a lot of kids we see these athletes like hey they get there and they're kind of clunky but like uh, up until like fourth fifth grade like I was always the tallest and I was pretty athletic so I played every sport so I'm like oh my gosh what what sport am I going to go pro in right like growing (laughs) up in Baton Rouge diehard LSU fan Uh, my first games I'd ever attended was you know walking in at like a four-year-old kid holding my dad's hand and going to watch LSU basketball with the great Dale Brown and watching Chris Jackson and Stanley Roberts and, and Shaquille O'Neal play and, and going into Tiger Stadium where it's 92,000 um, fans and it's crazy. So, like, I got acclimated to a collegiate sporting environment right off the bat. And the crazy part about it is my father, my father um, is a testicular cancer survivor. And so he didn't get a late start to go to college until after he had kind of beat it. So, you know, he didn't graduate college till I was seven years old. So oh, wow. he would go to LSU sporting events, Sarah, as like on student tickets, which was great <laughs> because we got great seats. But also I learned every curse word underneath the sun by the time I was seven years old, <laughs> we would go to sit in the, the, the student section at an LSU game. Like I can vividly remember my dad, like holding my hand, we'd go into the game, we'd watch it. And my dad would be like, now you're not allowed to say any of these words when you get back in front of your mom, when we get back to the house. And I was like, yes, sir, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and that's how I got spoiled uh, living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, growing up. All right. So you were an athlete yourself and you were a huge sports fan. Uh, and was the family so into it that you were doing every sport, getting shuttled to every practice, that kind of thing? Or did you have to sort of specialize at some point? Well, so that does, there's, there, I'm glad, perfect question because, so there I am, fifth grade thinking, oh man, I'm, whatever, I'm going to be the next Don Mattingly in baseball or I'm going to be the next Larry Bird in basketball. And then I realized in sixth grade, other people start growing and I already <laughs> hit my growth spurt. So I didn't. So then I become this like tall, skinny, like just pushover. And I can remember my dad looking at me at, in eighth grade and he's like, all right, you've got an option here. You could, you're probably not quick enough or good enough to play basketball. Um, you're, you're, you're dang sure not big enough and strong enough to play football. And I was a pretty good baseball player. So he's like, you could probably play high school baseball, or if you want to get into it, you can get into golf. And, and I had played golf kind of growing up. And so I was like, you know what? 
I, I, I want to, I, I, I like trophies, right? Like we're all competitive, <laughs> especially working for ESPN. Like we've all had that gene in us. So I'm like, I want to be the best at something. And so I dedicated myself to golf. Um, and it, I think the right choice, I ended up winning a state championship in Texas in 97 and played collegiate golf and won a college tournament and ended up paying for my education. So, uh, and, and, and so that was nice to get the college scholarship. And when my daughter was born nine months ago, uh, the day that we found out it was going to be a girl, I just lit up because I'm like, perfect. I'm not going to have to pay for college because college golf scholarships for women are like the best scholarship ever <laughs> because of Title IX and stuff like that. I'm like, perfect. At least now I'm going to get a golf club in her hand here in about two months uh, on, our, on our first birthday, and I'm not going to have to pay for school down the road. Yeah, for sure. You know, I saw the post about your daughter being born uh, and I love you, you wrote as an adopted kid. I've never met someone that I'm actually related to in my life. That just changed. Meet Bo Victoria Burns. Um, that's really special. And I think, uh, especially when you get older, a lot of people your age may have gone looking for and found their birth parents. Um, but for it to be your child is the first person ever. That's so crazy. So, uh, first of all, you were obviously adopted. Tell me about growing up. Were your siblings then not related to you either? Yeah, so we're like the United Nations of families, right? Like, so my mom is Cuban, and she came from a pretty wealthy family in Havana, Cuba, but had to pretty much leave in the middle of the night when Castro took over because her family was close to the Batista government, and so that they had to basically scram. They had to, as they talk about, like the banana boat, literally they were put on a boat with about none of their belongings and like a bottle of rum that they were allowed to sell when they got to the state as far as to get them at least kind of gas money to go somewhere. So um, so they go to Cuba. My dad's Cajun, and so somehow they meet in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My dad's the high school quarterback. My mom's the cheerleader who hardly speaks any English, you know, and so they end up getting together. My, my dad has cancer, and so he's not able to have children, and so they decide, all right, well, we're going to adopt. So they adopted me. Uh, my brother's half Brazilian. And my sister's 100% South Korean. And so we've got a Cuban, a Cajun, a South Korean, a half Brazilian, and I'm like a mutt. Like, I think my biological mom was 60 when she had me. I don't know if we know who the dad was. So we're just like this weird mix of gumbo in the uh, in the Burns household, to say the least. I love that. I'm glad that I brought that up, because if you would have just blown right by that, that's incredibly interesting. Uh, how did that manifest itself in terms of growing up either – positively because you were exposed to all these new cultures were there negatives in terms of the way classmates or anybody else reacted to you guys not looking the same how did it go well so what's funny is about the classmate stuff we're like we're all five years apart you know oh so wow five five <laughs> and five so we never went to school together and so i never really looked at my brother and sister being different than me right or my parents or my parents like i've never met my birth parent um, and so to me, those are always my parents. And so, you know, whenever I go into it and I can vividly remember my sister, when she turned 21 or so, I was about 31. And I was having a birthday party in San Antonio where I was that a radio show host. And so I invited her. She, she came into town. She was 21. She was going to hang out and have a good Saturday night live theme party. Like she just had. <laughs> and, um, I remember people coming to me and they're like, man, the girl you're dating right now is really good looking. Oh, I was no. like, dude, that, that's, you're disgusting. That's oh, my no. Sister. They're like, that's not your sister. <laughs> I'm like, I'm serious. That's my sister. And she's had that because, you know, as being the anchor for the SEC network, 
she, you know, will live in Baton Rouge, and occasionally, if, if you know, she's young in her life as well too, and if she we went on a date or something like that, and it'd be happen to be on a television, she would be like, oh yeah, that's my brother on TV right now, just randomly or just kind of probably make some snide remark. And nobody believes her because, you know, obviously, I don't look like a South Korean, and she doesn't look like a Cajun, a Cajun mutt like I am. That's great. But but was there an effort by your parents to sort of understand the cultures and the backgrounds of all of their kids and to share them with each other? Yeah. You know, I mean, for it, it was obviously kind of the best of all worlds. It was cuisine. You know, yeah, for sure. loves Cajun food. So, I mean, if you live in Baton Rouge, it's like football, faith, family, and food. And food, a lot of times, is the most important thing. So he's always cooking up crawfish etouffee or jambalaya or gumbo. My mom would make some great arroz con pollo um, in, in Cuban dishes. Um, you know, my sister really has never really ventured into that world. But, you know, my brother with paella and stuff, I mean, so I think everybody wanted to come hang out with the Burns family. Yeah, for sure. Like, Loves to come in town because they're like, this is going to be the greatest like food court buffet of all time. Whenever we all get <laughs> together, and, and uh, luckily I have a high metabolism, or else it could be uh, it could be a major issue. <laughs> so I'm doing an E60 right now. That's actually coming out fairly soon, involving um, Kansas City Chiefs coach and uh, his story of adoption and. He was, oh, you know, cool. he was older when he found out, but um, it wasn't until he started having kids of his own that he really wanted to know his background for for medical reasons and otherwise. Is there any part of you that since having your daughter has, has decided that you might want to go looking? Yeah, you know, what's so funny is I, I go back and forth with that, Sarah, because I look at it and go, you know what? I mean, my parents are my parents. Like they we were all my brother, my sister and myself were all adopted by we were 10 days to two weeks old, right? So it wasn't like we were in foster homes or there was, you know, a connection with my biological mother. Uh, there never really was that. that. You know, so I always wonder, I'm like, would that hurt my parents' feelings? But you're right. I mean, as I get older, A, I would like to know about my health, you know, of, of do I have any kind of issues? Because I don't really know. It's kind of a chapter I've never looked into. But then ultimately, in a weird way, I'd, I'd almost like to, I mean, the ultimate sacrifice is, is carrying somebody for nine months and then saying, you know what, I love them so much and I'm going to give give them up for yeah. somebody who has a better life. And I, I mean, we live our dreams. We're, we have an opportunity to talk about sports every single day and the opportunities that I've been afforded because I found a family that could provide, you know, an opportunity for me to succeed. That, you know, I'm not living my dream unless somebody makes that sacrifice. So I've dabbled in it. I don't have the courage to do it yet. Um, but I, I do think at one point, I just wish, I wish that person would know what what their decision, you know, how it came to be that it was the right choice. Because I know that's something that they probably struggle with every single day. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie you down to watch this piece I'm doing. I think it could be absolutely potentially influential at the very least, really interesting for you to watch. But I can't give anything away because it's got a no, twist. And, and real quick, <laughs> I think that's one of the cool things that we, we just I, I just got a chance to talk to Jimmy Pataro, who's the kind of the head over here at, at ESPN yeah. now and our and our new our new head guiding light here. And I, I really found that kind of interesting about how you know there was the one thing that we really pride ourselves over here now is like storytelling. Right. And I think, you know, between the E60s and the piece that you're going to be doing, like sports is sports, right? A box score is always going to be a box score. Like anyone can talk about a box score, but like the, the opportunities that our company gives us um, for to go in depth and to tell the stories, like that's the personality that drives us behind sports. I mean, 
you know, anyone can do, hey, here's what the final score was, but to, to tell a story and give me a reason why I would pull for this coach or or a background of why a player is, I, I, I think it's a powerful tool, and 30 for 30 has done that uh, outside the lines, and, and E60 has really done a great job of giving us that vehicle to do it. Well, and part of that, too, is that people watch the stories because they're connected to sports and hear about and learn about things that they otherwise might not. And so it's a really cool right. gift for us to be able to connect to people that way. Um, all right. So you, you you do the golf thing and you end up at uh, at UT at San Antonio and then at St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. So so why both schools? What happened there? Because you're probably at, I'm, I'm just going out on a limb here. You would be my guest number, I think, five who partied too hard at the first one and then figured it out for the second one. Is that what happened? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, <laughs> what is because, it listen, with sports in, people and needing needing two tries? <laughs> again, yeah, it's like, and that's why anytime we look at the college football transfer rules, I'm like, hell yes, give this kid a new fresh start. You never know, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah, I mean, listen, here's the deal. Like, my mom was like this uber-Catholic little Cuban lady, and my dad, like, my parents wouldn't even let me watch MTV in the house growing up. And so naturally, when I went to college, I lived in a four-bedroom apartment all by myself uh, because of guys either transferring or guys living with their girlfriends or something. So, like, my house became like animal house, right? Like, I had never been trusted to go, like, live on my own. And so, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my first two years at college. And, you know, at one point, I've got like a 1.86, you know, <laughs> I love to say ERA, but it was a GPA. And then my parents are like, I don't care how good you are at golf, like, you ain't yeah. going back to school there. And so finally, you know, I went to a small Division two school, St. Mary's University, a great private university, um, and actually, you know, kind of kind of straightened up and knew the opportunity I had. I played really good there. I won a collegiate tournament. Um, and so, I mean, I enjoyed that, but I wouldn't give up the first two years uh, of playing college golf at UTSA or the way I handled it because it, it was it's still – uh, there were many a moments where in mornings where I woke up where my voice was uh, was had the Sarah Spain birthday uh, party voice. trail. So yeah, uh, yeah, it, the party voice was a uh, it was a blast. Brief PSA to my listeners: If any of you out there are still in high school and your parents are very strict, the message I have is that my parents let me watch Coming to America and say stuff like "The royal penis is washed, Your Highness," and watch <laughs> Eddie Murphy delirious and raw and everything when I was like eight, and I was watching Saturday Night Live when I was seven years old, and I went to an Ivy League school and I stuck with it, and I got like a three point eight. So if your parents are too strict. Maybe they're actually pushing you toward the drink. I didn't even drink till I was a junior in college. So maybe your parents need to be a little less strict and then you'll make your way through the earth, not feeling like you have to rebel. So So there's the message. My my wife, Lauren, Sarah, is the same exact way. Her mom and her her parents were just like, hey, listen, if you, you know, if you're ever in a situation, don't be, you're not in trouble. Just call. We don't ever want you driving and, and stuff. And they're not naive. They know that. You know, when you're under 21, you may have an alcoholic beverage. And but they were they were a little bit more flexible with their parenting than I was, and I turned out to be an absolute train wreck by the time <laughs> I got free. And she's like, she was like the sorority president and the senior yeah. vice president of operations. I so, swear it works. Like, successful people, <laughs> their parent, they're like their parents are cool. So that that should be the parenting lesson. Now, mind you, I have a nine-month-old daughter now who I'm not going to allow to date until she's probably <laughs> 40 years old. Uh, so I guess it's probably easier said than done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And your parents have to just be a good example, too. That's part of it. You can't sure. just be uh, freewheeling yeah. and easygoing and then, you know, <laughs> not setting a good example. Either. There's a fine line in the middle there. All I'm telling you is, kids, if you're listening, 
you know, tell your parents yeah. to take it easy on you. Uh, so you get out of college, and what do you think you want to do with your life, and where do you go? Uh, honestly, so I get a job right before I graduate working in the gas and oil industry. And so my family, my dad was in the business and he's like, Hey, there's an entry level position. You'd be like a project manager. And so I was like, Hey, listen, anything that paid me, I remember making like, I want to say I made like $13 an hour. And I thought I was rich. I was like, what is up getting paid weekly? I was like clearing like $600 a week. I was like, who's the boss now? Right. Like, (laughs) you know, living the high life. And, uh, so I would be in charge of going to all these gas and oil, um, you know, refineries and plants that we'd have for El Paso field services. And I would drive throughout South Texas and Louisiana and we would take helicopters offshore and stuff. But it was a lot of hours on the road. So I started, you know, doing that and then listening to a lot of sports talk radio. And just because I got bored with like the same four mixed CDs that I had burnt off of Kazaa and LimeWire, like, you know, <laughs> Napster songs. Right. So um and then I remember Tony Bruno used to be ESPN Radio, and Andrew Siciliano did a show for Fox Sports Radio called The Morning Extravaganza. And one year they did this contest about called Be Andrew for a Day. And so I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put in together an audition tape. I sent an audition tape. They did like this top 64, and somehow I won it. And so this is like 2002. So I won an opportunity to go host their show for a day in Los Angeles. So flew out there to Los Angeles. Um, that was when they were real good friends with Pat O'Brien. Uh, and so I got to hang out on access Hollywood for a day nice. to host the show. And I'm like, dude, this is the greatest job ever. I cannot believe people like Sarah Spain and, and Tony Bruno <laughs> and Adam Amin, like they get paid, like this is their job. Yeah. Not yet. And so don't age me. I was still in college. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. You were, you were still, you were, you were still, uh, Ivy League school stuff, but I mean, yeah. like, I thought it was so cool, right? Like, this is what I want to do. So I went, I remember vividly driving or, you know, going back to San Antonio going, how am I going to go sit in a cube or in like a, a, a car doing a four hour trip to Delmeda, Texas to go talk about like valves and stuff like that. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go talk to the radio station and I'll take any job that they have. So I, you know, I went to Clear Channel Communications, who is a l- pretty large company. It's called iHeartRadio now. They they are started in San Antonio. Their station is Ticket 760, is a sports station in San Antonio. And I went to their manager, and I was just like, hey, I'll take any job you have at the sports radio company. Like, you just tell me, like, I just want to do this. And they're like, well, we're not putting you on air. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, naturally, I don't know why. I just thought that they would just say, okay, yeah, you're on this show. Go ahead and get on air. Like, I thought that's how it worked. Uh, but Sarah, they said, well, the only job we have is if you want to learn how to sell advertising. And so I was just like, um, yeah, okay. So a couple of weeks later, I quit my job. That was at that point, a pretty good job. And, um, yeah, they gave me a phone book, a booth in the corner and they gave me a week and nobody even talked to me and gave me any kind of you know, oh boy. idea of what to do. Basically just like sink or swim. You know, they hired five different salespeople and probably one of them was going to make it. I was just, I happened to be the, the one that ended up making it. I learned, you know, how I got into the industry was selling advertising for the sports station. So you're working there for a couple years, right? Um, in San Antonio. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you, you wrote this, uh, well, well traveled, I guess, viral Facebook post, how the worst days turn into the most important ones based on getting one of those Facebook on this days that had told you that yeah. way back when, this was just maybe two years ago that you wrote this, uh, that way back when, while you were working for that San Antonio gig, you came home from doing a Super Bowl show in Vegas, 
and your house was empty, no furniture, no wife, and no dogs. Um, what happened? I mean, that's that's about as dramatic as, <laughs> as you can get there. No warning. That's the e, that's the E60 I need on my life. Yeah, is, no kidding. Is, is that one? Um, yeah, it's crazy. So, of all things, like I had gotten, um, you know, once I was working for the station, um, I was started doing, um, you know, some fill-in work for him and i had gotten married when i was 22 years old and i got married to a 21 year old girl and you're gonna laugh now but she was the spokesperson for the hooters corporation oh boy uh and so she would you know she'd do the commercials with lee corso for television i won't disrespect her by saying the, red flag what's up <laughs> i said i won't disrespect her by saying red flag <laughs> yeah well it, well listen when you're 22 there's not yeah, a whole lot of like, you're blowing through a lot of stuff that's true right? that you're is true like, oh my gosh this is the best looking girl i've ever dated we're in love we're gonna get married so we got married and and honestly a great girl a small town texas girl who was kind of the girl next door but was was fairly attractive and smart young lady and um so her job was as the you know she would open up all the new hooters stores so she would do all their media and host super bowl parties and and um, so we're married for five years. I mean, like, she's my best friend, no problems, never had a fight, never really any kind of issues. And so the year that the Super Bowl is down in Miami, um, she's down there hosting events. I'm hosting a show for the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. I fly home uh, that Monday morning. I open up my front door, and my house is empty. Um, I mean, we're talking everything. I think there was a television and an Xbox and, like, a bed frame, and that was it. Like, my dog took gone. your clothes? Yeah, I, I, well, no, no, no. I think, yeah, I, did, I think I did have my my clothes, but I mean, like the furniture done, Man. everything, and I'm just like, what is going on? I, I honestly, and, and I I called like 15 different times, like thinking something had to happen. Like, or did you get kidnapped by Cuban drug lords or something like that? Like, and come to find out, she had just gone off a little bit of the. Uh, I would say, I'll put it this way: she had like one of these uh, midlife model crises. To where um, you know she decided she uh, was going to live a different life, and happened overnight. And wow. uh, there may or may not have been some, um, you know, there, she may not have had a party. May or may not have had a party voice uh, after that weekend. We'll put it that Got way. It. And okay. um, so after something like that happens, I I saw her one time the rest of my life. And, wow. Uh, and so it was crazy. And so at that point, I was just like, I got two different ways to handle this. It's like one. I'm devastated and I'm just going to be like, this is going to ruin me or I'm going to use this as like this, maybe it's fake or whatever. It's like this chip on my shoulder to be like, you know what? To hell with this. Like, I'm going to prove that I, I've got something going on in my life. I'm going to go follow my dreams and I'm going to give you, and this is, you know, 27 year old Peter Burns talking, but I'm going to give you a reason to, to think that this was the worst decision you ever made that that, that really kind of spurned me on really trying to work even a little bit harder to get into our industry. Man, that's that's awful. When did you see her at, at, a, at a divorce paper signing or something like that? No, not even that. So how about this? She ended up, her best friend and my best friend ended up getting married. Oh, and no. And so I was, oh. I was in the wedding party, and she was in the wedding oh, party. Oh, no. It's like the and all of our circles of friends know each other. And like this is the first time that Peter has seen her, and like it was, you know, super super. Like it wasn't even awkward for me because at some point, like before the the wedding, I had called her up, or I, I think I sent her an email, and I said, "Hey, listen, like what happened happened." And this was like maybe a, maybe nine months after it. I was like, "What happened happened." Like I'm happy with what direction I'm going in my life. 
I don't, you know, I hope you're happy. I just know like we had a really good relationship and, you know, I'm sad that things worked out that way, but let this weekend needs to be all about our friends and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, she, she did not share the same sentiment. And so Ooh. I was like, you know what? I, I learned an important lesson that day because I was like, no matter what happens in life, like if, you know, my dad gave me the best advice after that. He goes, if you could go to bed every single night knowing that you tried your hardest to fix an issue, then you can't worry about the outcome. And like I've used that on every part of my life. Like, you know, something's bothering me. If I don't try to fix it or if I don't at least make an effort, then that's on me, you know, that I've got to live with this. But at least at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to be the bigger person here. And, and guess what? She didn't respond that way. And guess what? I at least tried and I could go to sleep peacefully that night. So that was kind of the first weird thing, um, that happened on my weird and windy road to get to where I'm at right now. (laughs) Yeah. So you continued in, in, uh, in writing on that Facebook post about, you know, other moments that, that made things tough. You, you know, you got a job eventually working on Fox sports radio and you were working out of Denver for a while and yeah. it, and then you were back in San Antonio when you when you got let go, or was this all? Am I getting no, things no, out so of order? I was in San Antonio. Yeah, so it was actually the day after. You know, it's so funny now because me and Greg McElroy are really close, and and his wife and my wife are really good friends, and we vacation with them. So it's just weird how the world of sports works and, and karma. But like the day after McElroy had won the national championship, I came back and I was hosting in San Antonio. Things had gone really well. I was making a lot of money doing sales. I was single, enjoying the single life. I was the morning show host. Like, things were awesome. But I had also become kind of a, you know, D-bag. You know, like, I was, I was, I thought my blank didn't stink. Yeah. And so finally, you know, people in management were just kind of sick and tired of me being a diva and just being, you know, not, not, not thinking the rules applied to me. So I remember doing the show. We were talking about the Alabama-Texas National Championship game in 2009. I, I turned the mic off. And management sitting there like, hey, come downstairs. So we talk, and they're like, yeah, we're 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 firing you. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like I'm the, like the number one salesperson. Like I got a good morning show. Like what's up? And they're just like, you know what? You just you 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 don't show up for staff meetings, or you you know you don't show up to this or whatnot. Like you're just a difficult person. To, you're braggadocious. Like they didn't like that. Hmm. And like that was a harsh reality to know. Like, dude, everybody's replaceable. Like, no matter how good you think you are important, like if you get run over by a truck tomorrow or if you act like an idiot, you know, you're you're done. And I lost that job, and I kind of, at that point, I was like, oh, my gosh, I lost everything. Like, this is what I've been working for. It's my dream job, and I'm done. Like, what what am, like, what am I going to do now? And so it was a lot of, a, lot of a, a harsh reality. Instead of just, you know, getting upset with the station, you know, I, I had to look inside and be like, no, no, it's not the station's fault, idiot. It's, it's you for blowing this opportunity. And that was a, that was a pretty humbling experience uh, that kind of carved, carved a little bit piece in media as well. Why do you think you were like that? Was it just maybe bouncing back from, from the breakup with your wife and wanting to prove that you were something she would regret you know, leaving was that inspiring? Because it's God, you're you're so good at this, Sarah. Because I feel like I literally like I want to lay down on the couch because it's like I feel like I feel like like we're in Goodwill Hunting and you're Mike Robin Williams right now because it's not your it's fault. Funny, this never asked me that. Like that's the, that's the mark of a good podcast is when somebody says I've never been asked that question. It's unique. Um, you know, I think a lot of it was that. Like, I mean, I nearly died in a hospital in in Walt Disney World. 
Um, and the reason why that was because once I first got single, I was like, you know what? I'm free. I'm going to go party. I'm going to show everybody I'm living the life. I'm going to have that hashtag party voice every night. <laughs> and like, I started, you know, just drinking a lot, not like, like, like depressed drinking, just, I mean, Red Bull vodkas and bottle service here and just trying to kind of mask like, Hey, I'm okay. Like I'm partying, I'm living it up. And I got a small kidney infection. And so, you know, I went and got antibiotics, and they were like, all right, it's going to take a couple of days, you'll be fine. Well, we flew to Disney World with my family for a summer vacation, and I remember the first night we stayed in the Polynesian Resort, and, you know, I'm not feeling real well or whatever. And, and so what happens is the antibody or the antibiotic they gave me, you know, not only does it kill the bad bacteria, but, it, you know, we've got good bacteria in our bodies as well, too. So what ended up happening is I, it killed a bunch of the good bacteria I had, and without getting too graphic in details, like I didn't feel good at the middle of the night. I went into the restroom and all of a sudden I'm losing a ton of blood. Oh, wow. I mean, just a ton of blood and I get real lightheaded. And, uh, you know, basically because I had been partying so much and on this medication that for some reason I decide to get into a bathtub just to kind of wash myself off. Well, I pass out in the bathtub while the water is still running in like a pool of my own blood. And my mom just happens to be like, we were sharing a room with my mom and my dad, and they're like, I wonder what's going on. Like, I hear it's one thirty in the morning. What's going on? And they rush into this room, and then there I am in the hot – or, like, in a bathtub full of my own blood, like, nearly drowning. And, wow. you know, they didn't know what to expect. I got to spend four days in a hospital at Disney World. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a fair way of saying, yeah, I was I was trying to mask, you know, the – the, hey, I'm okay, I'm bouncing back, and that was a lesson learned, too, about, hey, man, you don't need to prove anything to anybody. Just, you know, bounce back from this in your own way. Partying is not really the reason that you need to go. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so you're reacting to sort of these, like, this is how I thought my life would be, and now it's different, so you're sort of acting out in various ways. How do you then take that? Because some people are just D-bags, right? Like, you can get the note yeah. that you're a D-bag, and you're just going to go somewhere else and be a D-bag. And I think local sports radio guy, no offense to the good ones out there, but we've seen plenty of them, right? They just go get a job in another market, and then they get fired right. again for whatever it is that they tend to do. Um, so how do you change that so that you become somebody who not only gets a job back at that same place where you were fired for your attitude, but can move on and move up. Yeah, I mean, I think it came from being like going back full circle. It came about you know being with my family and being raised the right you know being raised the right way with my mom and dad. Like I was always a yes sir, no sir type person. Always opened the door for people. Like I was taught polite Southern manners because that's what my family was. And like so, I was always a good guy. I just you know I think I was projecting to be this like really cool dude and everybody need to hang out with me and look at me partying with all these girls and stuff like that. And it really was, that was almost a fake persona I used to kind of mask like my insecurities when, 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 you know, the love of my life, it kind of left me. And so I think what had happened is when I, I eventually got, they ended up hiring back in San Antonio and I eventually was like, you know what? I just need a fresh start. That's when I moved to Denver and I was like, you know what, my family and I, we moved a lot around as a kid, like, because my dad kept getting, you know, promoted in the gas and oil company. And I always loved moving cities because it gave you an opportunity to, to change your whole life, like basically hit the old Nintendo reset button and be like, okay, this is a new game. This is Abilene, Texas, or this is San Antonio, this is Corpus Christi or Houston or Kingwood or Denver, Colorado, where nobody knows who I am. I can create my own 
new reality, and this is the start of a new season for me. And that's why eventually I I moved to Denver knowing, okay, you can't party like a rock star because that will kill you, and you can't act like a douche because guess what? That will get you fired. So armed with those two things is kind of where I took the next step. Hey, everybody, don't forget to go to ESPN and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain so you always have the latest episode. Don't forget to rate and review it as well and tell all your friends how awesome it is. So you eventually end up in uh, in uh, 2014 covering the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. was that the Denver job? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're covering the Super Bowl and an agent approaches you. Was Was he... Watching you on Radio Row doing your show and just thinking this guy's got nice command of the mic and, and, you know, face for TV, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, and so, you know, it, it's kind of, it, so the, the background of it a little bit, because I, I'm sure I, I do, you know, in that post, we do talk about what happened in Aurora. And so I, I do want to get to that in a second. But that, oh, yeah. going back behind that, um, in, in, in Denver, I ended up launching my own radio show there because I, I worked for one of the sports stations. I was getting fill-in time, so I decided to just kind of risk it all and, and started my own business, and that was going real well. And um, and so what ended up happening is I get this job in Denver. I launched my own company. It's going pretty well. And the the, the shooting in Aurora happens. And I, I think a lot of people know of what it is now. In the Aurora Theater, there was people watching the premiere of Batman, and one of my closest friends, a girl named Jessica um, Gowie, her, her, her kind of stage name was Jessica Redfield. She was kind of trying to be a, a, an aspiring, you know, journalist like yourself and, and, and us. And, um, you know, she had moved to Denver just to be there, um, kind of started working on my show, took a job with the Nuggets, took an intern job with the Avalanche, all these jobs. And she never left that theater that night. And so, you know, it was right after that happened when she passed, I was just like, I got to go try everything. Like, I'm going to take, you know, like she, like, I would always be afraid of different opportunities because I would always like cap what I thought my talent level would be like, now nah, I can't do this or I shouldn't go after this job or whatever. And when she was so brave that after she passed, I was like, you know what, to hell with this. Like, I'm going to go after every opportunity ever. And it just happened to be that, um, you know, we were in the Super Bowl one year in New York City when the Broncos got mauled by the Seahawks. Remember that? It was like 43 to 8. Like, yeah. it was embarrassing. Um, and so I'm doing my show, and a guy named Gideon Cohen from uh, If Management, so one of the agents in our industry, had saw me and says, hey, you ever thought about doing TV? And I was like, I thought, I honestly, I thought it was like being sold a bill of goods. Like, I thought he was like, yeah, pay me $5,000, and I'll try to get you an audition. But because uh, I didn't know anything about agents. And I was like, man, everybody would love to be on TV. And so I you know, I thought it was kind of fake at first, really, and then I Googled it, and then I realized, okay, these guys, they have, like, Bob Costas. They have, like, they got a bunch of big players. Like, they're they're legit. And uh, and so that, eventually I ended up uh, meeting with them, and I probably wouldn't have, you know, gone that far down that road or even tried television had it not been, you know, for my friend – uh, Jessica and, and like just thinking, all right, I need to, I need to get after this. Like, uh, you know, she wouldn't be afraid of going for opportunity. So why should I be not, why should I be afraid? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's sort of the through line of that Facebook post is these moments in your life that feel very low that need to mean something, right? You can't just give up when something happens. I mean, you've, had, you've had moments, right? Like, I mean, yeah. th- there's nobody that I've met in our industry, whether it's Adam Amin, he told his story, uh, and I mean, everybody has one. I mean, like, what's the Sarah Spain story of like up against the wall, like a bad, bad spot, 
what, what, what was the catalyst to get to where you're at right now? Well, you'll have to listen to the intro of this podcast when it posts. Boom. Because you've you inspired go. me right. to start the intro with it. Uh, but yeah, Adam was on, was on the show and that's how he, I think why he recommended that you come on because he told his story that, you know, he added to your Facebook post as you reached out to other people to share those moments. I think those are huge. Uh, this woman that I absolutely love, Sarah Rob O'Hagan, who's been a CEO and higher up at all sorts of places, uh, Virgin and, uh, Flywheel and Nike and Gatorade. Uh, one of her more recent books, she actually mined a bunch of very successful people's failures because she thinks we don't often enough talk about those times when things aren't going well. Um, so that people who have a struggle then get stuck on it. And so they need to know that there are all I, these very successful people that have had all these hiccups. I get, I mean, to this day, I get a message probably, now it's died off because I normally post it once a year on the anniversary. But, I mean, we're nine months, and I still get at least one or two direct messages or emails a, a week about my post. And I've probably gotten over 500, maybe 1,000 since the two years that I wrote it of people saying, hey, you know what, I just got let off from a job or I just found out me and my spouse are getting divorced or, you know, something happened and I needed this. And what the coolest part about it is, Sarah, is people that will reach out, you know, and I always interact with them and, and they'll reach out three months later, hey, just wanted to share, like, I used this positive, you know, thought process on when I was down and now I'm doing this and, like, like it's pretty freaking awesome that, you know, somebody took the time to, you know, read a post that I had and and utilize it to their life. And, hey, all of a sudden, like, it worked for me and it worked for other people of taking a good positive mind frame of, of really kind of really kind of dark and negative moments and turning it into a, a good thing. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's so important, too, because I think it's very useful to share best practices. It's also very useful to share worst practices or things that didn't work out and how you found your way out of them. So um, it's a great thing to keep adding people to those to those posts and, sh- and sharing them. Uh, before we go, I have to ask, because Adam Amin uh, shared this with me, he said you're about as avid a Fortnite player as your average, you know, 12 or 15-year-old. And um, I need, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to explain to me why I'm wrong for being some sort of hybrid of get off my lawn and old man yelling at a cloud when it comes to video games. I know they're fun, it's, and I'm sure they're addictive, yeah. but my old school ways are read a book or go outside. <laughs> Why am I and wrong? I'm, and I'm with you. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a go outside type person. I love playing golf and stuff. It's just like, it's just like that was part of my life. Like growing up and playing Mike Tyson punch out or Contra or super Mario world or doom or Wolfenstein. Like I always had moments where well, a, a lot of times I was like, occasionally I was a bad kid. So I'd get grounded and my parents were like, all right, we well, can't go outside. Cause that would kill me. So I'm like, all right, well, what am I going to do? Well, I ended up playing a couple of video games. And to this day, like, I still do it. I'm not proud of it. But, you know, it's funny. David Pollock from College Game Day, I'll get, like, three texts from him a day, and there's nothing about college football as we sit here. It's everything about, did you see the new gun at Fortnite? Or, uh, you know, Todd Walker, <laughs> who played in Major League Baseball for 10 years and, and, and is one of my analysts. Like, that's all he wants to do. And my wife makes fun of me because at night, when, you know, she'll go to bed at, like, 10 p.m., and I'm still wired because I'm a night owl. I'm sitting there and, and playing Fortnite. So, um, again, so, and what's funny is now all of the players, like, you know, collegiate players, they play it. So I find myself playing with different collegiate football players and baseball players. And it's, it's funny how I'll, 
how now all of a sudden I'm not just like some media guy that's going to ask them questions. Like we're literally just teammates on the stupid Fortnite team. Um, <laughs> and it's a different way to connect. So again, I, I, I completely, I don't get upset when people say get off my yard. Cause I understand if it wasn't part of your upbringing, you, you don't quite understand it, but uh, it's, it's real and spectacular uh, playing Fortnite. I, I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> Mina Kimes has been trying to convince me as well, so uh, I will. I will keep listening. She says it's actually social, and you do make friends. And, and yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And, and as they continue to pay people better than real athletes to do that, I guess I'll have to adjust. Uh, before I let guys you guys know, are you making to, like ninjas making half a million dollars a month. To I do know. It. Like it's insane to play a video game. So. It's insane. But you know, a lot of people make money doing stupid things. So you know, that's not that, that's not that's not that's not <laughs> hey, all it's going to take to we, convince. We, we make money talking about that is uh, true. You know, that grown is true. men and women playing sports <laughs> that have to be a lot of fun. So was, some people might say we make money doing stupid things, but I sure as hell love every single moment of it. Totally agree. Uh, before I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right, the Spanish Inquisition. It's the same questions that everybody answers. Number one, what's the natural talent you wish you were gifted with? Uh, actually, golf, because uh, I had to work hard <laughs> at it. And I wish I look, I look at Brooks Kepka and those guys that are actually, it makes it look easy. And I, I'm, I'm going to actually say golf as being the one talent. And I also wish I could sing. Because I think yeah. that would have been such a money move, and I just, I, I've got the worst singing voice ever. Like, <laughs> if I ever tried to sing Ironic by Alanis Morissette, I, like, it would break equipment. It would be bad. <laughs> Why that song specifically? I don't know. It's like, hey, hey. Like, because there's high notes you have <laughs> okay. to hit, and it's All so right. incredibly awkward and so annoying. So, again, if I'm you. trying to annoy anybody, I sing Ironic by Alanis Morissette, <laughs> and, you know, I'm normally, uh, I'm normally successful. successful. <laughs> Number two, what's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. Golly. I, you know what? I'm still going to go... All Eyes on Me by Tupac, because mm. it's a double album, I think would be solid. Second would probably Doggy Style by, by Snoop, because there might have been one bad song on Doggy Style, but I, I think I'm still going to roll with Tupac, All Eyes on Me. Those are good ones. I like both of those. Number three, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Wow, that's a great question. Um, if I could switch lives with anybody... Honestly, I would like to. I would actually take LeBron because I just want to know what it's like to be LeBron Inc. Like, not even the basketball, right? Like, just to think about like what what his business is like a day, like how many phone calls he gets, like what what meetings does he pass on? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. he literally will get a phone call today and be like, "Hey, these guys want to pay you 15 million to do this. These guys want to pay you 18 million dollars to do that. Which way do you want to go? Like, I want to just see what that life is like. It's like entourage it's like you know Vinny chase times 10 in sports. right i think it would be alternately really awesome to have that much power and then also um sort of crippling at times when you feel like you could always be doing something great for somebody and you aren't right like they- well and and and, and I, not only that right like how do you use the best use of my time i mean yeah. i deal with that with tim tebow all the time like i remember sure. talking to T- tim tim can't, doesn't live a normal life like he can't go out in public he can't just go to a store because people think he's so accessible and it turns into craziness. And I can vividly remember a real quick story about Tim. Like we got done shooting something and I was like, so Tim, where are you going next? And I was like, and he, he turns to me and he has an assistant with him. And he's like, actually, I got to figure that out right now. Cause he had three flights booked 
Oh. One for an event in L.A., one for an event in New York City, and one for an event in Florida. And he had not committed to either all three of them, but he had purchased tickets for all three. And because knowing he didn't know which one he was going to go, and he turned to his person, he goes, "What do you think I could do the best use of my time and like help people out? Like this is this is not Tim trying to be cool. Like there's media right. anywhere. This is legitimately like a close conversation I'm having with Tim and, and his been his and his kind of assistant." And she's like, I think you should go to this one because is this, this, or this. And he's like, okay. So he flies to that event. I'm like, that's what he does every single day. So you know, people ripped him, but he's never been nothing but nice. Uh, and, again, we, we need more people like him in the world of sports. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be awesome and, and also a, a whole lot to deal with. And it's impressive how, burn, how LeBron's sure. done it. Yeah. Uh, number four, what's the most scared you've ever been? Uh, I honestly think so. Starting my own business because I had given you know I, actually I tell you what start starting in the sports radio business I, I mean I, that that was by far because I left the job I was making pretty good money and I was like I have no idea what the hell I'm getting into and I think the most scared I've ever been was the first time I ever got on air I'm sitting there going oh my god I'm going to kill it this is going to be I'm going to be Jim Rome I'm going to be Colin Coward I'm going to be Dan Patrick I'm going to be you know Mike and Mike this is going to be awesome so we do this we have a three hour show on a Sunday morning Sarah. I do the first 15 minute segments coming out blazing. I'm like, I got this, dude. I'm a natural. And by like the middle part of segment two of a three hour show, I had nothing. Zero. I had, I mean, it was like almost dead air. And I'm like, and you know what that's like. Like when you panic, if you've got no, you know, have no idea what you're going to say next and you still got two hours and 45 minutes to kill, (laughs) I think that's the, that you could, I, I just get a cold sweat right now even thinking about that moment when I first went on air. Uh, number five, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Um, gosh, most embarrassed I have ever been. Uh, God, Lee, I'm trying to think of the stories that I can actually tell on air. Um, <laughs> I, I could do this. I had way, I was, I was on a date once and I had had way too much soft drinks and like, so I was, I, I like I had like way too many Coca Colas like at a, at a like I'm like in college right so we right. couldn't afford anything yeah, and I can't bottomless drink at refills at Chili's or whatever yeah, yeah seriously it was out of Chili's and I <laughs> had way too many way too many cokes and things weren't moving correctly into the system and like literally had to run to like in the middle of the date had to run to the restroom to make sure and I almost made it we'll just put it that way oh no. It's not a wait, listen. It's not wait, a proud wait, moment, Sarah. Wait, front I'm, or back? I'm, I'm, were you, were you, did, front uh, or back? Oh yeah, we're talking. We're talking back. We're talking. Oh back. no. Oh, okay. yeah, I can't tell you how many good. men. I literally can't tell you how many men have stories where they poop themselves, and I don't know. Not, I, I don't. I know. I know one like, woman. I know one woman, and it took her like five years to admit it to me. And then I've got all these guys <laughs> that are like, I eh, just you know, you're playing fart roulette, and it doesn't work out. Yeah, like so. Yeah, I mean that's a typical guy fashion. But you're, you're traditionally, I, you know, I, normally I would not play a whole lot of fart roulette on a on a. On a <laughs> it was a second. It was a second not date, on a date, and naturally there wasn't there wasn't a third. We'll just put it. That way. <laughs> I don't blame her. Uh, number six. What would you consider your biggest failure? Um, biggest failure. Um. Gosh, that's dang, dang it! With you, uh, good ones. I, I should have been prepared for these a little <laughs> bit better. Um, I, honestly, I think that not capitalizing on the, the I think I had some talent in in, in in golf, and I think 
the two years that I had that I kind of wasted when I and, and, and didn't try to give it more of a go as I see a bunch of the guys that I played with that are professionals now, I, I, I would say that that was probably the one thing I kind of look back and kind of regret to a certain extent, not, not you know, having, having some talent and not using it the right way. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, number seven, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Uh, I think being able to adapt, and I think that helped me growing up and, like, moving and stuff like that because I always had, like, hey, we'd parachute into a city, and you had to make friends, and you had to be observant of what what was what and how to act. And I think that's always helped me that, like, when all these bad, bad things have happened to me one way in life, like, I was able to be, like, not, 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 it defined me, like I was going to beat it and I was going to adapt. So I think that's, that's the one thing that's really helped me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, number eight, have you ever been in a fist fight? I have, I've been in two and I'm two and oh, I'm a, oh, wow. a fighter. Um, but I had, I was in a concert at Robert, uh, Robert Earl King concert at Flores country store. And some guy was kind of pushing a girl that was in front of us. Cause like the crowd was moving and he kept kind of pushing her and then finally i was just like dude it's not this ain't happening and broke the guy's nose and then i had to like run out of the concert before i got arrested so that you know (laughs) sorry dude if you're listening and i broke your nose at flores country store in 1998 i apologize about that um and then I got into like a random one at like when I was 15. And I'm like the scrawniest fighter of all time, but I had a long reach. So yeah. that helped me. I was I, I could go jab like uh, like a little Mac in, uh, in in Mike Tyson punch out. <laughs> uh, number nine. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, I always wanted to actually eat healthy and I just can't do it for the life of me. I always joke around. I'm like, if I could actually improve, I know you want like some more philosophical, emotional answer. I'm like, I want a six pack. That's I don't even want a six pack. I want a four pack. I want to just be able to eat healthy and I want to be able to want to do sit-ups. And I just can, for the freaking life of me, I like, I get to the gym and I'm like, today should be the day that I actually do a sit-up like workout. And I'm like, nah, I'll do it tomorrow. I've been saying that for eight years straight. So, um, yeah, that's a total superficial answer and I'm sticking with it. Uh, I mean, I feel like though, if you needed to do sit-ups or eat healthy, you'd find your motivation, but you're one of those jerks that doesn't really have to. So... That's I'm annoying. So, like, my, I, our our little <laughs> our daughter Bo is like, you know, my 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 wife is is kind of tall and lanky like me, and we're like, thank goodness that uh, we hope our daughter has a high metabolism because she eats like a machine right now. So yeah. we'll uh, we, we will see. And, and that's your another fingers. reason why. So I'm she like, doesn't have to do sit ups either. I got to start, <laughs> start eating healthy, man. I want to be around for a while. Well, <laughs> and and yeah, to be fair, when you got kids around, you should always have healthy food around. Because you never know. Yep, that's that's true. And also, you don't know your your family history, so you might right, be like exactly. the one I could have skinny like the worst dude. Heart disease ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm hoping this is not. I'm hoping this is not the podcast that all of a sudden they pull a clip from. And yeah, they're like, later on, Burns, who he was didn't just know. talking about this yesterday. Yeah, he didn't know that he should <laughs> not eat fast food every day. Just throw in some <laughs> vegetables every once in a while. Yeah, uh, occasionally. Yeah. Number 10, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Um, genuine. Um, I would probably say opportunistic in a, in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and and. Caring. I mean, I, again, I think those are cop-out words, but I think at the end of the day, like, 
I'm glad I reinvented myself here at ESPN and being a dad and, and being a family guy and not being the guy that I was when I got fired because I like I'm happy that whenever the microphone goes off or like people like Adam Amin saying, Hey, you should talk to Peter for this podcast. Like, yeah. like I, I think, I think overall I'm proud of, you know, kind of the, the, the brand I've created. And, and I realized that I haven't really tried to create this brand. That's just kind of who I am. And, and sometimes you just have to embrace who you are as opposed to kind of trying to be something that you're not. Cause that didn't work out very well for me before. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good one. Uh, and finally, bonus question. Who do you recommend I should have on the podcast? Um, you know what? Who would be a really good one is, I mean, Booger McFarland's one of my boys. He's He is awesome. Um, and, and I work with Marcus Spears a lot. But Coach, and this is crazy to think, Coach Gene Chizik. Okay. I don't know, you, know, you know, the former Auburn coach. Because I remember with him, Coach Chiswick won a national championship. Cam Newton was on his team. And I always remember him being just like this gr- like this gruff kind of eh, coach. And talk about a guy who has a new lease on life now that he's no longer coaching, got fired. Um, and, I mean, it's just the most humiliating thing in Auburn. And people were just like, oh, my gosh, how, how is he going to do? I think he's so intriguing. And I've learned so much about the game of football from him. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, one of my guys. Either I'll take I'll take McElroy and I'll take Gene Chizik. One of those two are probably my top two. I love it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with me. This was great. Hey, Sarah, I appreciate it. Congratulations on the party voice and uh, happy twenty third birthday and <laughs> enjoy you. all of it. Okay. Oh, and another thing. This week's that's what she read is from theeverywherest.com. And the headline is, what happened when I tried talking to Twitter ab- abusers? And it's a couple weeks old, but it's uh, from uh, a woman who decided to reach out to some of the people that were threatening her and insulting her on Twitter. Um, she had given a keynote speech at a summit in Portland and was talking about the topic of online misogyny and the abuse of women and how we treat it separately from the real world acts of misogyny and abuse instead of properly understanding that all of those pieces are part of the same system, that the the way we view women is not just about the anonymity of the Internet. It's about how society views women on and offline and that we can't treat things online as separate because uh, it's 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 all connected and we need to understand the roots of it to make a change. And she ended up realizing throughout the talk that that a lot of, you know, reaching out to the people who are doing the abuse might help. She she thought that she would be better served instead of just giving speeches by actually going and reaching out to people to talk to them, to find out why they were threatening her, why they were uh, abusing her. And the opposite of what you might think happened, instead of finding common ground or feeling any guilt or shame, um, no matter how long she talked to them, a lot of them just didn't care. They just, they didn't care about causing victims pain. They were seeking attention. And I've seen a lot of different people talk about this. In fact, Lindy West did a great interview with NPR about reaching out to one of her Twitter trolls and had a completely different ending. So I don't know that this is the end all be all, but I do think that reading this story and comparing it to some of the others I've read that have a much more Disney ending is useful. Um, it, it's useful to understand that a lot of women who are going through this, it won't be served by ignoring. It won't be served by reaching out. It won't be served by trying to find common ground. 
Um, in a lot of ways, this is a problem um, that is not as simple as people might think it is. So, again, it's what happened when I tried talking to Twitter abusers, and it's on the everywherest.com. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.